Section 40 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 13 The Administration of Justice Under Emergency Conditions, Part 1 The Condition in Our Lower Courts. A riot in the city poses a separate crisis in the administration of justice. Partially paralyzed by decades of neglect, deficient in facilities, procedures, and personnel, overwhelmed by the demands of normal operations, lower courts have staggered under the crushing new burdens of civil disorders. Some of our courts, moreover, have lost the confidence of the poor. This judgment is underwritten by the members and staff of this commission, who have gone into the courthouses and ghettos of the cities torn by the riots of 1967. The belief is pervasive among ghetto residents that lower courts in our urban communities dispense assembly-line justice, that from arrest to sentencing the poor and uneducated are denied equal justice with the affluent, that procedures such as bail and fines have been perverted to perpetuate class inequities. We have found that the apparatus of justice in some areas has itself become a focus for distrust and hostility. Too often the courts have operated to aggravate rather than relieve the tensions that ignite and fire disorders. The quality of justice which the courts dispense in time of civil crisis is one of the indices of the capacity of a democratic society to survive. To see that this quality does not become strained is therefore a task of critical importance. No program of crime prevention the President's Commission on Law Enforcement and the Administration of Justice found will be effective without a massive overhaul of the lower criminal courts. The range of needed reforms recommended in their report is broad. Increasing judicial manpower and reforming the selection and tenure of judges, providing more prosecutors, defense counsel, and probation officers, and training them adequately, modernizing the physical facilities and administration of the courts, creating unified state court systems, coordinating statewide the operations of local prosecutors, improving the informational bases for pre-trial screening and negotiated pleas, revising the bail system, and setting up systems for station-house summons and release for persons accused of certain offenses, revising sentencing laws and policies toward a more just structure. If we are to provide our judicial institutions with sufficient capacity to cope effectively with civil disorders, these reforms are vitally necessary, they are long overdue. The responsibility for this effort will rest heavily on the organized bar of the community. The prevalence of assembly-line justice is evidence that in many localities the bar has not met its leadership responsibilities. The Experience of Summer 1967 In the cities shaken by disorders during the summer of 1967, there were recurring breakdowns in the mechanisms for processing, prosecuting, and protecting arrested persons. In the main, these resulted from the community's failure to anticipate and plan for the emergency judicial needs of civil disorders, 
and from long-standing structural deficiencies in criminal court systems distended grotesquely to process a massive influx of cases in many instances tensions and hostilities from the streets infected the quality of justice dispensed by the courts while final information on the processing of riot offenders is not yet assembled the information presently available provides valuable guidelines for future planning the goals of criminal justice under conditions of civil disorder are basic to ensure the apprehension and subsequent conviction of those who riot incite to riot or have committed acts of physical violence or caused substantial property damage to ensure that law violators are subjected to criminal process and that disposition of their cases is commensurate with the severity of the offence to provide at the same time for just but compassionate disposition of inadvertent casual or minor offenders to provide prompt fair judicial hearings for arrested persons under conditions which do not aggravate grievances within the affected areas in the summer of nineteen sixty seven these goals too often were disregarded or unattainable few successful prosecutions for serious crimes committed during the riot period in detroit twenty-six alleged snipers were charged with assault with intent to commit murder twenty-three of these charges were subsequently dismissed as of september thirtieth nineteen sixty seven one out of seven homicide arrests had resulted in conviction two were still pending of two hundred fifty three assault arrests only eleven convictions were produced fifty eight were still pending twenty one out of thirty four arrests for arson and twenty two of twenty eight arrests for inciting to riot had been dropped by the prosecution three elements impaired successful prosecution of persons arrested for major offenses first the technique of mass arrest was sometimes used to clear the streets those arrested often included innocent spectators and minor violators along with the major offenders in newark and detroit mass street arrests were made in sectors where sniping was reported and extensive looting occurred second the obstacles to deliberate painstaking on-the-scene investigation during a riot are formidable thus insufficient evidence was obtained to ensure conviction on many of the more serious charges third the masses of arrestees in the major riots so overwhelmed processing and pre-trial procedures that facilities and personnel were not free to deal adequately with the serious offenders or with evidence of their crimes personnel in police stations were overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of accused persons to be booked screened detained and eventually brought to court minor and major offenders were herded through the process assembly line booking operations in the detroit precincts and at the jail twenty to thirty employees assigned in twelve-hour shifts proved inadequate records necessary to identify defendants or to check for past criminal records could not be obtained follow-up investigation essential to secure convictions in serious cases proved difficult or impossible with lesser crimes as well the system displayed an inability to produce successful prosecutions looting charges comprised eighty four per cent of the felony arrests in detroit 
yet almost half of the felony charges that went to court were dismissed at preliminary hearing for lack of evidence serious overcrowding of facilities after arrest accused persons in detroit and newark suffered the abuses of an overtaxed and harassed system of justice in detroit inability to maintain a centralized system of arrest records meant that families and defense attorneys could not locate arrested persons confined in widely scattered emergency detention facilities in one day alone seven hundred ninety persons were booked at the wayne county jail and one thousand sixty eight sent on to other detention facilities usually without an opportunity to notify or consult family or counsel regular detention facilities were swamped detroit's main city jail built for twelve hundred persons was crammed with over seventeen hundred precinct lockups built for fifty prisoners received one hundred fifty or more the juvenile detention home built for one hundred twenty held over six hundred during the riot makeshift detention facilities were commandeered one thousand arrestees were held in an underground police garage for several days many without adequate food or water others were held for over twenty-four hours in city buses adults of both sexes were sometimes locked up together in newark a large portion of those arrested were held in an armory without proper food water toilet or medical facilities prisoners had no way to contact lawyers or relatives members of the press or official observers were unable to reassure those on the outside in the absence of information about arrestees new rumors and fears added to the tensions of the riot judicial procedures oriented to mass rather than individualized justice normal screening procedures were overrun in the chaos of the major disorders rational decisions to prosecute to delay prosecution on good behavior to dismiss to release with or without bail pending trial to accept a plea on a lesser charge or to press for conviction on the original charge and to impose a just sentence require access to a comprehensive file of information on the offender contributed by police prosecution defense counsel bail interviewers and probation officers orderly screening requires time personnel and deliberation these elements were absent in the court processing of those arrested in the major riots arraignments and bail settings in detroit defendants were herded to arraignment in groups there was little chance to screen out those cases that could best be handled out of court or that could not survive trial defense counsel were not allowed to represent defendants at this stage in detroit some judges failed to advise the defendants of their legal rights after one group arraignment a detroit judge told the next group of defendants you heard what i said to them the same things apply to you arraignments in the major riot cities were often delayed several days thus denying defendants the right to prompt bail in detroit many persons arrested for minor ordinance violations were jailed for a number of days before going to court when the judicial process finally was activated for them most judges tended to set inordinately high bail in order to frustrate release 
pressure on detention facilities thus remained at intolerable levels for several days bail for offences such as looting and property destruction was set as high as fifty thousand dollars for assault up to two hundred thousand dollars bond for a curfew violation was rarely set at less than ten thousand dollars often as high as fifteen thousand to twenty five thousand dollars in newark bail was uniformly set at five hundred dollars for curfew offences two hundred fifty dollars for loitering and at two thousand five hundred dollars and up for property offences no attempt was made in most cases to individualize the bail setting process pressured by unattainably high bail many indigent defendants pleaded guilty or accepted immediate trial when offered in both newark and detroit detention pressures finally forced a more lenient bail policy in what were essentially duplications of the earlier bail hearings prisoners were interviewed and released without bail in large numbers in newark an ror release on the defendant's own recognizance program initiated in the last days of the riot interviewed over seven hundred prisoners at least half of all those arrested and secured the release of between sixty-five and eighty percent courts in several of the smaller cities successfully experimented with releasing defenders on their own recognizance from the beginning of the riot dayton continued its release on recognizance policy during its september disorder most of the two hundred three people arrested were released without money bail in new haven out of five hundred fifty arrested eighty per cent were released on their own recognizance council the riots underscored other deficiencies in local court systems most prominent in the major outbreaks was the shortage of experienced defense lawyers to handle the influx of cases in any fashion approximating individual representation even where volunteer lawyers labored overtime the system was badly strained individual counsel was rarely available inexperienced lawyers in detroit were given briefings by experienced criminal attorneys and were handed procedural handbooks before entering the courtrooms they had no opportunity to bargain for pleas before arraignment or even to see police files before preliminary hearings in several cities detroit newark and new brunswick volunteer attorneys were denied access to prisoners in jail in one case because they did not know the prisoners names while individual lawyers and legal organizations in several cities provided counsel to represent minor offenders milwaukee the legal services program new haven the legal assistance association cincinnati the american civil liberties union national association for the advancement of colored people and legal aid society in others rockford illinois atlanta georgia and dayton ohio those defendants normally not eligible for assigned counsel went unrepresented the need for prompt individual legal counsel is particularly acute in riot situations this is because of the range of alternative charges the severity of penalties that may be imposed in the heat of a riot the inequities that occur when there is mass indiscriminate processing of arrested persons and the need for essential information when charges are made by the prosecutor and bail is set the services of counsel at the earliest stage 
preferably at the precinct station, are essential. Provision of effective counsel at an early stage will also protect against a rash of post-conviction challenges and reversals. Sentencing Trial and sentencing proved equally vulnerable to the tyranny of numbers. Sentences meted out during the riots tended to be harsher than in those cases disposed of later. Some judges in the early days of the riots openly stated that they would impose maximum penalties across the board as deterrents. One Cincinnati judge announced that any person brought before him on a riot-connected offense would receive the maximum penalty. Circumstances of the arrest, past record, age, family responsibilities, or other mitigating factors were not considered. The burden of this policy fell on the poorest defendants, those unable to raise bail, who agreed to immediate trials. Those who could raise bail and wait out the riot often received more lenient sentences. Once the riots were over, defendants were frequently sentenced to time already spent in detention if they consented to plead guilty. In those cities where the riots were less extensive and the number of arrests allowed for normal trial procedures to remain largely intact, sentences did not markedly vary from the norm. In Dayton, where most of the 203 law violators were charged with minor offenses, such as disorderly conduct and destruction of property, the standard penalty was a fine of $15 to $50, in Rockford, Illinois, where all arrests were for disorderly conduct or curfew violation, fines were assessed within a $20 to $250 range, according to the individual's ability to pay. A primary function of criminal justice in a riot situation is effectively to apprehend, prosecute, and punish the purposeful inciters to riot, and to assure the community at large, rioters and non-rioters alike, that law violators will be prosecuted and sentenced according to an orderly system of justice. Dispassionate objectivity on the part of both the bench and the bar, always required and always difficult, becomes even more necessary when civil disorders occur. The passions of the street must not enter the courtroom to affect any step in the administration of justice, particularly sentencing. During a riot emergency, it is highly important that courts adhere to the established criteria for sentencing. This did not always occur in Detroit and Newark in the summer of 1967. In smaller disorders, such as Dayton, Atlanta, and New Haven, arrests were fewer, arraignments were prompt, release policies were fair, and sentences were within normal ranges. End of Section 40 Recording by Maria Casper.